I just want to do God's will. What you're seeking is a blessing from God. You must expect a miracle. You have the power of choice. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome to Life Today Live. I'm Randy Robinson. Great to have you here. And today's going to be a, a fun show in a lot of ways, but also a serious show. Uh, I have the legendary comedian, actor, oh. writer, <laughs> Thor Ramsey with me today. I'm very excited. Um, he's got a new novel out, uh, just dropped, and we'll actually, we'll tell you how you can get a very special deal just this week only if you're interested in it. Uh, it's called The End Times Comedy Show, and it is a novel. So it's it's a... Uh, a little easier to read than most of the books that we talk about here on the program uh, a little more fun but he's dealing with some very serious things that are going on in the culture right now if you want to be a part of the conversation chat is open hello Loretta great to have you today um, so jump on in there be a part of the conversation of course you're watching the replay we always appreciate the comments after the fact let us know you're out there watching uh, and hit share like subscribe follow all those good things depending on where you're watching and uh, you'll get more great interviews like this Thor, great to have you on Life Today Live. It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Right. First question I have had when I when I saw it, till I read the little summary, the cheat sheet that they send me, I was like, the the end times. God, what, what is this? Uh, left behind meets meet the parents or something. What's what's going on here? <laughs> yeah. Oh, so yeah. So the plot basically, well, it's about the end of this particular comedian's life, possibly. So it's about a stand-up comedian. You're right about what you know, right. who lives in Los Angeles. Now, this novel takes place in the late 90s, um, early 2000s. So I think it only takes, I think it's from 98 to 2000. That's when I started writing it. So I, <laughs> I just kept it in the, in, the, in the decade that I started writing it in. And uh, so basically it's about a, a stand-up comedian who comes from um, a family of evangelicals who are like the Kennedys of the evangelical world. Um, his father's a famous Francis Schaeffer-like uh, preacher, um, writer, best-selling author. Same with his mother, best-selling author. He's got his sisters in the music industry. He has a, a, a an older brother by a couple years who's had his um, brush with evangelical fame. And so he comes from this family of very prominent um, Christian leaders, and he's trying to deconvert as he's pursuing his secular comedy career in Los Angeles. He's trying to deconvert and just can't seem to shake the family faith. And so that's really the setup. That, that um, really doesn't sound like fiction. <laughs> that no. sounds like a lot of what we've seen. <laughs> Am I right? right? You've got to write about what you know. So there are aspects of it. So what, but I, what, what you generally do, if people don't know about uh, fiction, is you take a lot of real, real stuff, mm -hmm. your life and other people's lives, and then you put it all together in a stew and, it, uh, you know, you're trying to sell the reality of the idea. So you want to try to make it as well, as realistic as you can. So that's why you have to sell the credibility with, with a world that you actually know and you yeah. take people into that world. So in one sense, what's interesting, I think about the novel is that you're taking people into the behind the scenes of what is it like to be a stand-up comedian in LA, uh, in the late nineties anyway. Uh, this is a total rabbit trail, but I'm curious yeah, because sure. I started a novel years and years and years ago. Um, it was just one of several failed novels that I have on my yes. computer. And 
I went back to it recently, and I, I like I couldn't remember. I'm like, now what technology did they have? Did you did you did you have to do kind of a 98 to 2000 reconstruction just so you wouldn't say well, something like? And then he was on TikTok, and right. Well, I, in in one sense, I did because um, cell phones weren't real prominent back then. They were just starting. You know, it was like it was like the the baby steps of the cell phone age, yeah. and different things so uh and then i what i what i ended up doing though was bringing back things that people from that era will remember like back when we used to say aol and everyone <laughs> understood what that meant because <laughs> we used to refer to the internet a lot of times in email as aol yeah you know so that was just the terminology back then so there are little things like that in there yeah that's that's fun you you got the disc when you went to CompuServe. Yes, that's exactly, that's, it. that's exactly it. So, but the the theme that you're hitting, I mean, you talk about deconstructing one's faith, trying to, yeah, you know, the, these these are timeless. We see this all the time. We've seen I it over the last it, several years, right? Yeah, in the '90s when I started it, uh, <clears throat> the most prominent deconversion story at that time was Frankie Schaefer, and Frankie Schaefer, many people may know, is the son of Francis Schaefer, um, and so uh, Frankie's deconversion was always interesting to me because I remember reading one of his books, which I, which I really liked. I, it was called uh, addicted to mediocrity. Yeah. I remember that. And it was a book on why is Christian art and in terms of why, did, why are Christians in the arts? <laughs> why is it so mediocre? Right. And so it was really that. Now I think it was a little kind of a mean spirited book in some sense. And we understand why now, but, um, but at the time, I mean, he had a few books out that I thought I was looking at Francie Frankie to, take his dad's mantle mm -hmm. and run with it further and faster, farther and faster type of thing. And then he, he didn't really deconvert, but he, he converted to Greek orthodoxy. And then as he got into Greek orthodoxy, his faith really did deconvert. And I would venture to say that even Frankie would define himself as a progressive Christian. If he's, in my opinion, there's no such thing as a progressive Christian. <laughs> you're either biblical or you're not. And so, Progressivism or liberalism becomes another type of faith, as J. Gresham Meacham, if that's how his name, name is pronounced, he wrote the great book, you know, Christianity and Liberalism. And in that book, he said, liberalism is a different faith. So there is no, there is no Christian faith that's two parts, you know, a little bit conservative, a little bit. It's you're either trying to be biblical or you're not. And yeah. his faith now is not the faith of our fathers, so to speak. So... The, here, here's the deep theological question for yes. a comedian. This is why not, right? Yes. Can you actually deconvert, or is this uh, is, is it a hardening of the heart after the spirit is reborn, or is this someone who maybe grew up in a religious environment but was never born again? Yeah. So, well, the, the I don't I don't want to give away the story, but he's trying to deconvert, having deep problems doing it, which is part of the satire of the story is uh keeps encountering supernatural the supernatural uh occurrences in his life keep reminding him there's a reality that he just can't deny now can you actually deconvert i don't think theologically you can because if you could actually deconvert then that would be the theology that you could be saved and lose your salvation hmm. which i think is an absolute atrocious theology i make no bones about that and i really harp on that because I come from a background theologically where at one point in my early Christian life, I was taught this. Hmm. I was taught I could lose my salvation. I was introduced to Charles Finney, 
uh, whose theology is atrocious and evangelicals should stop quoting him. He's <laughs> absolutely uh, what now I'm not denying that Christian, uh, that uh, Finney was a legitimate Christian, but you can be a legitimate Christian and have really horrible theology yeah. that really, really damages people's spiritual lives. Um, and Finney's theology is damaging to people's spiritual lives. Uh, cause he did teach that. And in, in the end, if, if you if you can lose your salvation, then you're the one who has to keep it. Yeah. So and if you're the one who has to keep it, then all glory to you when you get to heaven, because you're the one who kept it. Uh, right. Jesus just happened to help. And so that's why it's just a it's a really horrible theology. It diminishes the glory of Christ, because if you have to help Jesus along in your salvation, then th again, it's like all things, all things are not from him to him and through him, as Paul tells us in Romans. I think that's 11. Chapter 11, last couple of verses, I don't know if it's 36 or 26, but chapter 11, end of the verse, Paul says that. So yeah. that means if salvation is all of God, gets all the, God gets all the glory and you get zero. Yeah. You get absolutely zero. Be thankful you're saved. You know, if you want to sit there and debate, why would he do it for me and not for others? I don't know. That's the theological answer to that. No one does know. Just be thankful and just live your life in a relationship with Christ day to day. So this, this, this sounds like... Uh... This sounds like it's very personal because it. What, what's the story there? You, you've well, got a, you've got a background there. There's some story. I, yeah, there's a story there. So you can hear it in my voice because so I got introduced to Charles Finney through the singer Keith Green, hmm. who I appreciate as a singer, but he's a 27 year old kid, and uh, Keith didn't have great theology. Hmm. Now he, I, I believe in Keith's passion. I believe God had him really used him. But again, we're all imperfect, and the goal is to become conformed to the image of Christ and to the mind of Christ, which is becoming more theologically robust would be the phrase we use today. Now, uh, in being introduced to Finney, I was a brand new, and I'd been a Christian maybe three years, and uh, and I was, I was sincere, but I think the Bible uses this phrase, I was zealous without knowledge. <laughs> so and this is why I'm big on theology today, because theology ended up saving my Christian life. Hmm. Um, but I got into Finney, and Finney's, Finney really taught that every time you sin, you lose your salvation. Jeez. So if you can imagine being a sincere Christian, living with that kind of burden, and you're living with a burden, because at that point, you you know, if you're, like, if you, if you're not familiar with this, folks, you sin every day in thought, word, and deed. So I just want to, you know, throw that out there. It might, might be a stumbling block to some of you, but you're a greater sinner than you even realize. But um, so that's kind of, but if you're trying to then you're really trying to earn your acceptance with God, not based on what Christ has done, but based on your personal performance that day. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying our performance has nothing to do with it, but our performance has to flow from what God has done for us in Christ and the depth of that. And when it doesn't, we're in a works righteousness mode of living, which will eventually lead you to shipwrecked faith because it eventually leads you to this overwhelming condemnation. It's like yeah. trying to please a parent that you cannot please. And if that's your Christian life, eventually uh, with you know the battle of the world, the flesh and the devil, eventually the enemy comes in and says, what's the point? You should just give up. And so I did. Mm. So some of this novel is really based a little bit on my own personal. Now, I wasn't trying to deconvert. Right. I just felt like I can't be a Christian. I just I can't do this anymore. Hmm. I can't live with this burden, and so I walked away from the faith. And because of my theology, I didn't I didn't consider myself a Christian anymore because hmm. I believed you could walk away from the faith. I believe you could at the time. I believed you could actually lose your faith. So I stopped living like a Christian. I became a 
stand-up comedian in the secular, uh, I started in the secular market. So I was basically, now in, in hindsight, what I was was a, a backslidden believer with really bad theology. Yeah. Because um, again, it's like, if you're of us, then you'll stay with us is the idea, biblically, um, theologically. And so eventually the Lord brought me back. But after a 10 year period, Wow. And a 10 year period that, you know, you can you can really uh, wreak a lot of havoc in your life in 10 years when you're young and you're not walking with the Lord and you do really stupid things and you live a really stupid uh, life. You know, I, it's been said by someone smarter than myself, but sin makes you stupid. And there there it is. You know, it's just but it, it's the, the the consequences of that 10 year period. I still feel the effects of today because of decisions I made back then. Hmm. And so, you know, the, if, if you can get anything from this book, it's like, read it if you're younger. Maybe it'll <laughs> save you from, you know, some pain in the future. And that's kind of the goal sometimes. Hey, interesting. I, di- I did not know that about it. What brought you back? Uh, I got married. And that's pretty much it. I, I was like, I got married. And I'm like, I'm not going to survive this married marriage by myself. I'm, I, I need outside help. Hmm. And so, you know, we just celebrated. Matter of fact, uh, just Sunday, we celebrated... 29 years of marriage now. Congratulations. But it was, it was the marriage that made me go, I'm, I'm not going to survive this. You know, I'm, I'm not going to make it. And I, and I come from a, a, a blended family. I come from a, I come from my, my parents had both had families, divorced, married each other, had me. Yeah. And so I never felt like I fit anywhere, really. I had, you know, half brothers and sisters from both those former relationships so then you bring that emotional emotional baggage. I never wanted divorce to be part of my life. Hmm. Here I'm, I'm six months into my marriage going, I'm not going to make it. I need help. And yeah. the only person I knew who could help me, you know, I needed strength outside myself was the biblical God that I knew when I was a freshman in college and my first few years of college. And I'm like, that's the God I have to go back to. And, uh, you know, so that really brought me back Did- in a very, very humble state. <laughs> Yeah, well, a good place to start, right? Um, did you have an aha moment where you went, okay, a lot of the things you've just said about salvation not being a work of our own uh, and, and it really being a work of grace and the idea of conforming to the image of Christ, which I think we, I, I, that I think is um, not understood as well as we should because I really think, I kind of think that's the point of this whole life, frankly. Yeah, yeah. I did not have now. I I had an aha moment when I came to Christ. Right. You know, when I came to Christ, it was the the well, the moment right, right afterwards. What life was completely different. It was black and white from before I knew Christ until mm. after I knew Christ. It was uh, right away I saw the world differently. And uh, now when I came back to Christ, it was just. I had nowhere else to, it, it was really out of desperation, <laughs> to be honest. And that's, you know, and a lot of people don't realize this, but that's the best place to yeah. begin. Yeah. That's really where you always have to begin. It's like, you have no other hope. And to be honest, I didn't have great faith, but you don't need great faith. You know, faith is not faith in what you can do. It's not even faith in your faith. I had to look to Christ alone. Yeah. Now, yeah. I didn't realize that's what I was doing at the time, but I'm like, my prayer at the time was, if you can do something with my life, it's yours. Now mm. that's a pretty pathetic prayer. Like, I don't know if you can even do anything. I mean, I know that you're a God of the universe who created all things, but I know I'm, I'm really even too difficult for you is the, the mentality, but it slowly, it slowly progressed with me. Um, I started, you know, again, just reading different, I started actually with the books of Francis Schaeffer, um, reading some of Francis Schaeffer's early works. And, uh, um, then I read a, a book by, uh, 
uh, Calvary Chapel founder Chuck Smith. I, was yeah. it Chuck Smith? Yeah, I think it's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Why grace changes everything. And oh, then I yeah. and then I just I I moved you know beyond those two, and I just got deeper and deeper theologically, and um, really became the antithesis of Finney's theology. <laughs> you know, Finney being a, a I don't know if you even call Finney a hyper Arminian, but he's some he's in, in that camp somewhere, but and on the hyper end. Yeah. yeah. And then I moved into uh, theology, the more the theology of of Martin Luther and and Saint Augustine, and and the theology that really focuses on God alone being the author of salvation, yeah. and then being graceful recipients, and then just living a life thankful that you're just part of it. If if you haven't read a book uh, called Grace Works by Dudley Hall, you would eat that up. Fabulous, fabulous book. Grace Works by Dudley Hall. I'll just throw that out there. And also a couple other points about what you said, because the Bible says you need the faith of a, a mustard seed, which is really not a whole lot. And then what you said about just saying, God, if, if, you, know, if, you, if you could just do something, I, I, just, I give up. That The idea of surrender, I think, again, is another one of those underplayed ideas in, in our lives because we we feel like we have to do something for God. And really, we just got to get out of the way. More of him, less of us, you know? Yeah. So I, I really, I like where you're tracking here. I think you're on the right path. I want to show people what we're talking about, what we're ostensibly talking about. Some of the ideas that have, Thor has poured into his latest novel called The End Times Comedy Show. Uh, again, a novel, which I, personally, I'm a, I'm a novel kind of guy. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm uh, audibling novels all the way to work now and i'm reading a different novel in my off time so i this is something i i know a lot of people enjoy um i i do want to ask you about something slightly different and that is uh something you've been doing on youtube which you call the protest show because uh, i'm fascinated by that uh you <laughs> tell me about what you're doing on the protest show i, I want to well, hear it in your words not mine. um so let me try to break this down into sound bites. Um, so I, I came from the mindset probably before the 2016 election, I came from the mindset, and I think a lot of uh, preachers have this mindset that you never talk about politics from the pulpit. Um, you know, those things in the long term aren't gospel related issues. They're not going to matter in the long run, et cetera, et cetera. I came from that perspective. And uh, well, if you've been around culture for the last five years, if you've been in America for the last decade, you can't even believe the rate at which culture has changed. I mean, could we ever imagine that we would have a Supreme Court justice that we would take seriously <laughs> who couldn't answer the question, what is a woman? She's not a biologist. And we have, an, we have a whole group of people in our culture that are like, they appreciate her answer. Like they appreciate her evasiveness. <laughs> they appreciate her denial of reality is really what it is. Right. And so we've gotten to the place that the cultural divide, which we've rec has always been there. I mean, when I was writing this book, you know, in the, in the early 2000s or late 90s, 2000s, we recognized that mainstream media always leaned left. We always knew that. And we just, it, it just wasn't as blatant. Now, I think what the just how culture is just transformed in the last decade, uh, the culture wars now are uh, there's no denying we are in, we're in culture. We've always been in culture wars, though. Yeah. That's just the thing. I think some of the evangelical uh, 
Se- some segments of evangelicalism, I think, have just been den- in denial of that because they want to get along. And, you know, th- and there's a there's I think God has designed us so that we want peace. We want to get along with people, but we can't do so at, at expense of the truth. And now Christians have to be truth tellers and speakers of the truth. And uh, uh, the 2020 election after that, that election, I'm like, I'm. I'm in the I'm jumping in with both feet now. I've never done political comedy because political comedy is uh, it's a short life it's a short shelf life. Yeah. Like I I I only knew there was only a few not even a handful, literally just a few when I was in the secular market doing stand-up comedy. There were only a few, a handful of comedians who devoted themselves to political comedy because Man, you're you're just continually rewriting your act. There's, you know, yeah. most comedians will work on their act for a decade before they record anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, that used to be the kind of the standard. You'd work on it and hone this 45 minute set that was flawless as much as it could be. And uh, and now political comedy just you fly it off the table. So that's what the protest show is truly a show protesting uh, the culture of our time, the mindset of the culture of the world and the political ramifications that mindset has on a society because of politics. Um, politics is all moral. You can't get away from morality in politics. And if you look at the cultural landscape today, all their, all their, their terminology is moral. Yeah. They treat these issues as if we should be on board morally. And if we're not, then we are sinners in their minds. We are breaking their moral laws. Uh, which is what the word sinner means. It just means lawbreaker. So I started the protest show after this last election because I was I felt so strongly I wanted to do something, <laughs> and uh, and I did, I believed in truly peaceful protest. I'm an old you know I grew up with parents who were classic liberals. You know back when you were supposed to be open minded and you were supposed to sit down with people who disagreed with you and have a, a civil conversation. There was. A thing called civil discourse, yeah. Um, and I still feel that way. But the protest show is truly a peaceful form of protest. Uh, we took the summer off, but we, and it's not a, it's not a pro- non-for-profit show. You can t- tell by the, but it's me and a friend of mine named Ron McGee. We sit down, we write it together, and then I go into. Um, uh, there's a, a production company in Fallbrook that uh, produces um, ChristianPodcastCentral.com. And so they produce it and we film it there. And then it's episodes are maybe seven, seven to 10 minutes. And uh, we do it once a week once we're in production. Has, has that made you new friends or lost some friends or a little of both? Uh, no, it's, I, I don't think I've lost any friends from it. Uh, you know, I've gained a, a few probably, but yeah. it's, you know, it's like, I'm not, here's the thing. I'm not concerned about preaching to the choir anymore. Huh. Uh, I'm just concerned about preaching the truth. And I think, I think pastors who put too much stock in, how is the non-Christian going to respond to this? How, who, you know, it's like, if, if, I don't see that anywhere in Paul's letters. I don't see Paul, now Paul talks about milk and meat, but he, but he doesn't let off preaching the meat. He just defines the meat and, and still, you know, takes us on that journey of growth um, that we should go on both intellectually and spiritually. So I don't think you can hold back with it. I think when you hold back, you're just being disingenuous and people recognize that. Yeah, yeah. But if you come in church and you don't understand that I think God's communicated to the world and he's communicated that to, and that Christ is the only means of salvation, 
If that's news to you walking into a church, well, that's why you need to hear it for the first time. This is ancient Christianity 101. Jesus is the only way. God's the only means. This is there's nothing offensive in terms of like, we're not doing this because we're ultra, you know, we're just somehow intrinsically narrow minded. This is the, this is the foundation. This is what God himself we're claiming has revealed. So anyway, that's uh, my whole. Uh, no, I, I love it. And he, here's another thing. And I think, I think you get this. Uh, I know you do based on your book. We, I, we believe in reason. You know, Paul, when he went to Mars Hill, he was reasoning through things. He presents a case. He writes like a lawyer in a lot of his letters where he yeah. starts and he presents a case, which is a side note, uh, why we need to read the, the whole thing in context and not just pluck one verse out of one right, right. portion and get some weird idea. We, we find a tooth and build a dinosaur. Um, but here's the other thing. <laughs> I got find a tooth and build a dinosaur. That's yeah. That's uh, <laughs> my pastor. I, I got to credit him. Um, he, so we as christians believe that a that god became man in a virgin birth and uh, performed miracles that cannot be done cannot be explained by science cannot be replicated by any man's hand uh and then was killed died on a cross put in a grave for three days and came out of it i mean if we're gonna pretend like we're going to appeal to people who strictly operate on natural terms, it ain't never going to happen. Because the crux yeah. of, sal of, of salvation, of Christianity, is above nature, what we call supernatural. You get this. Yeah, well, I think, I mean, I'll say two things in, because uh, I think we're, I'm not sure. Well, you tell me when we're closing. But yeah, yeah, you're good. A, a couple of things is, is the first one uh, is this. I think a lot of church leaders make a huge mistake in thinking they have to hold things back um, that aren't palatable. Uh, they also have to appeal to people's, you know, different intrinsic interests. Um, and here's the thing. Uh, I don't think you have to do that. You just have to speak the truth. Now, what the attraction will be to you or your church is going to be the Holy Spirit in you, your character. If you're a, a you know, Martin Lloyd-Jones makes the, the argument that it's not, church growth is not difficult. It's just it's really difficult to live out, but it's simply number one, uh, becoming a Sermon on the Mount Christian. Hmm. And if you look at the Sermon on the Mount as the character of the Christian, uh, as Jesus actually delineate, delineating the character, this is how Christian character should look in your life. And if you're displaying that kind of character, that's attraction, that's attractive to people. Mm -hmm. That's the attraction. And then you can speak the truth in love. And that's the other thing. It's like become, you become a great commission church by doing those things. Now, it's really hard to pull off. But the other thing I wanna, I wanna tell people about this book though, is that one of the things I wanted to do with this book is that I, I wanted to be a writer when I was like eight, 17 or 18 in high school. I had a great English teacher and uh, got introduced to great writers. She introduced me to great writers. And, uh, and I'm talking like J.D. Solinger, Ernest Hemingway, mm -hmm. F. Scott Fitzgerald, the old contemporary writers. And, uh, and when I became a Christian, I was looking for, I, I remember looking for a, a fictional book in in that vein, there there was just nothing. Yeah. And in my opinion, there's still relatively nothing. And so, if you're if you're if you love Christian fiction and you're you're, well, what I'm going to say is this is not going to be your average Christian fictional book. It's not going to fall in the average genre of what you probably perceive Christian fiction to be. <laughs> so don't expect that is what I'm telling you. But if you're looking for something that's not that. This is it. That's what I was trying to do. I was trying to do something that's not that. 
Um, and so that's my attempt at, uh, someone once said this, that if you can't find the book, you want, write it. So that's what I tried to do. All right. Well, I'll show people the book. This is ThorRamsey.com where you can see the book. And can they still get the deal on uh, Kindle? Yeah, Kindle. Right now, this week, you can get the Kindle version of the End Times, of the End Times Comedy Show for two ninety nine. dollars Wow. Uh, which, which is a, a great deal that the publisher, I, I don't have any charge over the the uh, the prices they set, but uh, but you can get the Kindle deal this week for two ninety nine. Heck of a deal, Thor. And appreciate. If you get a, write a review. That'd be fantastic. That'd be really helpful if you write a review. If you like it. If you don't like it, you know. You then just be quiet. Nice. Right. You know that though. No, if, if you've got nothing nice to say, then don't say anything at all. Right? We all know this. <laughs> Thor, uh, this has been fun. A uh, half hour has flown by. I appreciate. Uh, I just appreciate you sitting down with us. Is there anything uh, you want to say before I let you go? Anything I might have missed? Well, there's so much to talk about, but I just, I really, uh, really, I mean, if you, it, I will say this, man, if, if you want to support the arts, support the arts. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we support so much of the arts anyway, so much stuff we actually complain about and what culture is doing because there it is in culture. I mean, it's like part of the bombardment, bar, bombardment of culture now is that we can't get away from their agenda. Mm. Even if, if you go to Netflix, or if you go to prime video, any original movie they do, is going to have the new doctrine of the LGBT community in there somewhere. Even even the most, even, it's just got to be there. Yeah, it's almost like let, let's let's be honest. It's like if society was the way the way they portray, ninety percent of us would be gay. Yeah. But that's just the way they portray it. And uh, yeah, is that a complaint? It is a complaint <laughs> because it doesn't mirror reality. So anyway, so in that sense, support Christian art. And, uh, and and the one argument I do make when people say, you know, Christian films are bad and Christian this is bad. And I'm like, here's the thing, folks. We don't have as big a talent pool to pull from as the secular culture. But let me let me be frank. They make as many bad movies yes, they do. as any Christian production company. Now, Christian film has really come a long way in the last decade, in the last 20 years. Production values, storytelling is getting there. But we're a smaller community, less talent pool, and less money. Mm -hmm. So let me let me be frank. So if we had the, the budget they have, we could – but here's the thing. They make as many bad movies as we do. True. So, don't, so don't be saying it's an inferior product. It, it's just not, and it's getting better, and it gets better with your support. You know, Kindle. There you go. <laughs> right, yeah, right there. Yeah, go go get it on Kindle. And you know, you're 100 percent right. Uh, and the more that we will not just watch shows like this and go, oh yeah, no, that's I'm I'm glad he's doing that, and and actually go, you know what, I'm I'm gonna go buy that, even if, if it doesn't appeal to me, I'm gonna buy it and give it to somebody else. Right there you go. There you go. That Pass is yeah. Money. We we'll we'll complain about Starbucks and then go you know grab our latte or we'll gripe about Disney and then turn on Disney plus for our kids. It's like, w w if you like what you're hearing from Thor, go, go buy his book. Yeah. When you come across a, a product that you like, whether it's a movie or a book or whatever it happens to be like share that with a friend or yeah. buy a copy for a friend or give it to a friend. And yeah. that's that word of mouth. Uh, Cause you know, we don't, we don't have the budgets that we need to make things, you know, uh, known as, as we'd like them to be known. So well, word of mouth works great. And it's not, it, word of mouth. And, and it's also when I turn on Netflix or prime or whatever, it's not recommending that I watch church people. I had to know about that separately and someone else had to tell yeah. me and I had to go find it. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So yeah. unfortunately, which I'm hoping is a movie that'll become a cult, cult classic because, uh, yeah. because people will say once they've seen church people, they do like it once they've seen it. Yeah. And this, that's actually several out there that are under the radar kind of Christian movies that are yeah. they're, they're different. <laughs> they're, they're, this is not 
facing the Giants. Not, not nothing against facing the Giants. Well, production. No, value, no, not at all. Not at all. But it's just a, it's a different kind of storytelling. We need more of that. We need to support one. Anyway, Thor, again, great talking to you. I appreciate you. Randy, appreciate you all that you're doing. And uh, get people to go to ThorRamsey.com, looks like that, and pick up the new novel called The End In Times Comedy Show. Thank you for Come back. We'll see you again. we got more all this week, next week. Beyond that, right here on Life Today Live. We'll see you again next time. The drug of a nation, breeding ignorance and feeding radiation TV. You're the fruit. You're the fruit. You're the fruit. Exports.